It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 501. It is Friday, July 7th. Good morning. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. A mostly cloudy day on the way. Could see a pop-up shower or thunderstorm this afternoon. Noon high 85. Saturday sun and clouds high 85. Sunday scattered thunderstorms high 83. If you're walking out the door right now, 73 and partly cloudy in Valley Cottage up in Rockland County, 72 and cloudy in Kendall Park down in New Jersey, and it's 74 and cloudy here in Midtown. So much to get to as we work our way up. Six o'clock hour, Sid and friends in the morning was listening to the end of uh, Frank's show where he was talking about, uh, wrestling and i can't believe i haven't told frank this story uh but um back in 2018 can you shut that door because I, I hello thank you in 2018 people just having whole conversations around me in 2018 um i um i was booted from wabc it was a shock did not see it coming uh, i'm back so you know no hard feelings but there was a period of time where i said what am i going to do maybe this is a time to think about doing something different and uh because I get to do a show like this and be on the radio, you meet interesting people. One of the people who was a fan of the show for many years when I was doing it back in the early days uh, between 2015 and 2018, whenever it was, was somebody who worked for the WWE. And they reached out to me after I got the boot and said, maybe we can make some sort of partnership and work together. And they wanted me to be a writer for WWE, wanted to know if I was interested. So I was like, wow, well, this is sort of a big curve for my career. So I went home, and I had lots of time on my hands because I didn't have a job, and I watched an enormous amount of wrestling. And um, they wanted me to come up with a storyline for, um, I think his name was Mustafa Ali. I'll have to double check, but that's who I think the character was. And um, I came up with this entire storyline, and I pitched it to them. And um, I was very fortunate. Within four or five days of being booted here, I had been offered another radio job at a competing radio station. So I ended up signing a deal and going over there. But um, I did write this whole storyline, and I sent it over to them. And... Uh, they were sort of interested, but at that point, I had taken the job. I have no sense of what it paid. It never got that far. But uh, as a lifelong fan of wrestling, I hadn't watched in a number of years. I had young kids at home, didn't have the time. But uh, I had that period of five days where I got sucked right back in. And it was so much fun to, to write the storyline. And I've lost that guy's contact. But if he's listening... Uh, Keith is his name. Give me a holler because I have more storylines. I think now because I have more time. The kids are older. I could start writing again. Maybe maybe I could do it as a side gig. All right, let's get into the headlines. The top five at five. A wild scene on the east side as two buses crash. Newark firefighters describe the deadly blaze aboard a cargo ship. We still don't know who dropped their bag of coke in the West Wing. As Mayor Adams really carried around a picture of a cop killed on the job. And a local beach town has closed because no one wants to work. All right, let's get into it. 504. Let's start with that bus crash. Seven o'clock last night, First Avenue and East 23rd Street. A tour bus slams into an MTA bus 
both of these buses packed with people. The tour bus was one of those double-decker buses you see driving around the city, a top-view double-decker bus crashing into the MTA bus, a wild scene. And I turned my head to the right, and, like, this big tour bus is just, like, full speed zooming at us. It hit our bus, all the glass shattered. People screaming, yeah, falling off their, their seats, banging their heads onto the other seats. You hear the boom, and, like, you feel it, and it's yeah, crazy. Cops say the MTAX 38 bus had the right of way as it was traveling through the intersection along 23rd Street. The tour bus apparently sailed through a red light and then T-boned this bus, uh, the MTA bus, and just panic ensued. The impact felt like it was almost an earthquake. The whole bus was rattling and shaking. It just smashed. I, I just saw glass everywhere for a second. I... You know, it was honestly like I was in a movie, and it took about a couple of seconds for me to snap back to reality when everyone started screaming. I saw blood. There were a lot of injuries. Dozens of people were injured. Now, here's the good news. Most of those injuries are minor. Uh, None of them are life-threatening. The MTA sending a spokesman to the scene saying, hey, this one was not our fault. This was the tour bus driver's fault. This tour bus behind us uh, seems to have blown a red light and uh, T-boned our bus. Hit it actually twice it was going so fast. So the MTA bus, by the way, was standing room only at the time it was T-boned. So people were thrown across the aisle. There were kids on board again. The good news here is the injuries all minor. Lots of people were taken to the hospital. Others were treated at the scene. Uh, Here were the firefighters who raced to help everybody. In fact, they used a ladder to get to the top of the double-decker bus to get to the injured there. Likely need to be treated. Many injuries are just cuts, bruises, scrapes, some suspected fractures, uh, some head and neck injuries as well. Yes, so the driver of the tour bus going to receive a ticket. That's what sources were telling us early this morning. They haven't flushed out the entire investigation of what took place. There's plenty of cameras at the corner of 23rd and 1st Avenue, so they'll be able to see pretty quickly what took place. They may already know at this hour, but so far they're calling this um, just an accident, no criminality involved, but they say the investigation is still underway. WABC News Time. 509, a story we told you about as we came to the air yesterday. Two firefighters killed after they became trapped while fighting a fire on a cargo ship at Port Newark. This was late Wednesday night. Uh, we're getting more details about what took place there. The fire started on the 10th deck. This is just a huge cargo ship, 5,000 uh, cars aboard. Uh, there were Mayday alerts sent from these firefighters who realized they were trapped, could not figure out where they were. Yeah, so it's not clear yet what started this fire, but what is clear, unfortunately, is these two firefighters were found uh, dead at the scene. Our units, evacuate yourself immediately. Sound your air horns. All units, sound your air horns. Evacuate yourselves immediately. Yeah, firefighters racing to find these firefighters who sent the May Day alerts. Unfortunately, it was too late. Those victims, Augusto Acabo, who's 45 years old, Wayne Brooks Jr., 49 years old, uh, they both had been veterans. Veterans with the Newark Fire Department assigned to Engine 16. Brooks had been uh, there 16 years. Uh, uh, Akabu had been there a nine-year veteran. Uh, the fellow firefighters who knew them both speaking out yesterday. This was a shock when I found out this morning. Just 
the hole will never be filled. Never. Big guy, always smiling. Such a sweetheart. <clears throat> Would not pass by you without saying hello or giving you a handshake. The last time a Newark firefighter was killed was 2007. That was in a motorcycle crash. Newark uh, Fire Chief Rufus Jackson and Newark firefighters have been trained to fight on cruise ships and aboard these uh, container ships. But uh, they say they're awfully hard fires to fight. And uh, they do get training for it. Uh, because Newark Port is the second largest port in the nation after the port in Los Angeles. Uh, but unfortunately, the investigation, of course, into exactly what took place still ongoing as they get set to uh, hold funerals for these two firefighters killed in the line of duty. 511. Governor Murphy, by the way, also talking, I should say, about these firefighters who lost their lives. This tragedy is a painful reminder of the dangers our firefighters face and their remarkable courage. Yeah, so we're waiting on information about the funerals, and I'm sure there will be a salute to these firefighters in the city of Newark in the coming days. 5-11, down to D.C., the White House brushing off former President Trump's claim cocaine found in the West Wing belonged to President Biden and his son. A small bag of cocaine found in a common area of the West Wing over the weekend while the Biden family was away at Camp David for the 4th of July holiday. The small bag uh, going to be tested now for DNA and fingerprints. More from correspondent Kelly O'Donnell. The fact that it's close to the Situation Room is certainly uh, notable. We had earlier been told that it was one level above and also a lobby area in the West Wing, closer to where the Oval Office is. So O'Donnell says this investigation, the DNA and all that, could be done by Monday. Maybe we'll know who it is. By Monday, perhaps even earlier, they anticipate uh, having reviewed all the important material they need to review. DNA and fingerprinting testing has been going on. Yeah, there are cameras everywhere, so I would imagine they could see who's walking in and out at any hour. Scanning the video, doing the testing, uh, but they are preparing us for uh, a result that will be no conclusive evidence found. All right, 512, while we're talking about the president, he was in South Carolina yesterday highlighting new clean energy manufacturing investments in the Palmetto State. Jobs that used to go to Mexico, India, Romania, and China are now coming home. South Carolina. So Biden announcing a new partnership between a solar and battery company uh, in uh, South Carolina. We've attracted a half a trillion dollars, $497 billion in private investment in American manufacturing. $60 million they're investing here. Well, that's 1,800 jobs across the country and up 600 permanent jobs right here in South Carolina. And the president uh, calling out Republicans yesterday who previously voted against his economic agenda. All those members of Congress who voted against it suddenly realize how great it is. And they're bragging about it. The president naming congressional Republicans who voted against his signature Inflation Reduction Act or bipartisan infrastructure law. He mentioned Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville, who last month praised the $1.4 in federal funds his state is set to receive for expanded broadband Internet service. He said, quote, great to see Alabama receive critical funds to boost ongoing broadband efforts. <laughs> That's all right. Because I'm one of those guys who believe in conversion. 514, the U.S. military 
revealing an intense video of Russian fighter jets harassing a trio of American drones on a mission over Syria. Commander of Air Force Central Command, Lieutenant uh, Al- uh, Grantowicz, says this is unacceptable. They have been flying through airspace that they have agreed with us over a period of years not to fly into. Uh, they're flying right over top of our garrisons that are in Syria that are there focused on the defeat of ISIS. So it's something that's very disturbing and has got our attention. The U.S. Air Force in the Middle East called the incident unsafe, unprofessional behavior on the part of the Russians. Using things like uh, parachute flares to drop in front of them, as well as uh, one aircraft engaging its afterburner. Brigadier General Pat Ryder, they're calling it unsafe, unprofessional. The military releasing the video of this intense count encounter. Three MQ-9 drones were conducting a mission against ISIS targets. Three Russian fighter jets began harassing those drones. Clearly meant to harass and clearly unprofessional and unsafe behavior on the part of the Russians. Yeah, so far no response from the Russians about that video. All right, 515, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk. Happy Friday. Good morning, Justin Ellis. Happy Friday. Good morning, Noma Layden. How about those Mets? They yeah, won the right? My God. What is that, like four or five in a row? Five like in a row. Wow. Five wins in a row. Everything comes together last night. They show you what they can do when they do put it all together, beating the NL West first place Diamondbacks 9 to nothing in Arizona to finish off the three-game sweep, pitching and hitting. Once again, creating the perfect storm for New York with Carlos Carrasco taking care of things on the bump through eight dominant innings, a three-hit ball at the dish. The bats were lethal and relentless, racking up 17 hits on the night, including three dingers from Alonzo Alvarez and Lindor that sounded like this, courtesy of SNY. He drives this one toward the left field corner. That ball is out of here! A line drive home run for Pete Alonzo! Lindor with a triple, Alonzo with a two-run homer, and it's 2-0 New York. And the breaking ball drilled to left field. Forget that. Alvarez again. It's a two-run shot, and it's 7-0 New York. Thinking right center this time, but he drills this one too deep for a triple. That's going to sail out of here. Francisco Lindor is 4 for 4. That's his 18th home run of the year. Double for the cycle. 9-0 New York. The win marks five straight for the Orange and Blue as they look to take the momentum into a three-game set in San Diego against the Padres. That'll start tonight at 9.40 p.m. Eastern Time. Justin Verlander going up against Hugh Darvish in that one. Now to the Yanks. They lost again last night, but this time in a much more embarrassing fashion. The final score being 14-1 Lapper in the series finale against the visiting Baltimore Orioles. After taking the first two of the four-game set, the Yanks had consecutive opportunities to register a series win here but failed to do so as they settle for the 2-2 two and two split against their division rivals. And with the AL East first place, Tampa Rays coming off a sweep by Philadelphia. The Bombers squandered an opportunity to chip into their current eight-game divisional deficit. They'll see what they can do with the Chicago Cubs coming into town next, starting with tonight's first of three at the stadium set for a 7.05 p.m. first pitch and the long-awaited debut of a Carlos Rodon looming. Rodon signed a six-year deal worth $162 million in December strained his left forearm in spring training and was slowed by stiff back during his rehab. So he'll make his long-awaited debut gnome against former Yank Jamison Tyum tonight. 
And that's sports on 77 WABC. I'm Justin Ellick. WABC News Time 519. Let's go down to Florida. The Parkland School families, at least some of them, were touring the school where a student gunman went on a deadly rampage five years ago, murdering 17. Andrew Pollock, who lost his daughter Meadow on that day, says he wants to see whether where she took her last breath, but he's not sure this will bring him any closure. I don't think there's ever closure when, when your daughter gets murdered or a child gets murdered. I'm sure that's true. Every family is allotted one hour to be inside the school alone. I'll go in there and I'll be just one more thing I'll have to deal with. Murdered and I'll go see where it happened. And uh, I don't know what's going to happen when I go in it. I yeah. couldn't tell you. Pollock says he's not sure what this means for the grieving process, but he felt like it was the right thing to do. You never have closure. Your, your life is not the same ever. 520, let's go out to South Dakota. The governor of South Dakota slamming Ben and Jerry's, Ben and Jerry's ice cream, for its social media post about Mount Rushmore. Republican Governor Christine Ohm responded to the ice cream company's 4th of July social media post that called for the U.S. to return what it called stolen indigenous land, starting with Mount Rushmore, which, of course, is in South Dakota. Uh, governor Nome doesn't like that. Well, I'm not going to listen to a bunch of liberal um, Vermont businessmen who think they know everything about this country and haven't studied our history. She says uh, the Ben and Jerry folks should be proud of America and they should knock off this kind of thing. Uh, right now, Mount Rushmore is the greatest symbol of our freedom and history of the United States of America. We can learn from the men on that mountain. We can do better. But boy, they led us through some challenging times. We should be proud of America and knock off what Ben and Jerry's is doing. Uh, um, they don't have any idea what they're doing. Some critics have called this Ben and Jerry's Bud Light moment, referring to the controversy and subsequent boycott after the beer brand partnered with a transgender activist back in April. But so far, Unilever, who owns Ben and Jerry's, say sales are just fine for them. 522. Former Vice President Mike Pence defending his decision to certify the 2020 presidential election results following the Capitol January 6th insurrection. The Constitution affords no authority for the vice president or anyone else to reject votes or return votes to the states. Never been done before, should never be done in the future. Of course, Pence on the campaign trail uh, wants to be president 2024. He was in Sioux City, Iowa. A woman asked him the question, claiming he had the constitutional power to block the certification of the electoral college results back in 2020 and prevent Joe Biden from becoming president. So she wanted to know why he did not do that. No vice president in American history ever asserted the authority that you have been convinced that I had. I said what I announced. President Trump was wrong about my authority that day, and he's still wrong. 522, while we're on the uh, White House campaign trail, uh, a new uh, poll out says Americans want former President Trump to have his trials before the 2024 Republican primaries. A new Politico magazine Ipsos poll shows 57% of respondents said that Trump should face his charges in two cases about mishandling classified documents and manipulating business records before the primary election. Meanwhile, 62% say he should face trial before the November 2024 presidential election if he is the nominee. Responses are broken down roughly along party lines, with more than three in four Democrats saying he should be tried before 2024 and less than half of Republicans. 
I'm Mark Mayfield. All right, let's go down to the Texas-Mexico border. One congressman says the Biden administration ignoring the fact that four illegal immigrants drowned in the Rio Grande over the 4th of July holiday. Here's Texas Republican Tony Gonzalez. People are literally drowning every single week. And honestly, no one cares. No one blinks an eye. The drownings happened near the Texas border town of Eagle Pass, which is Gonzalez's district. It's become so normal. No one sheds a tear. Where's the jumping up and down? Where's the humanitarian element to this country? The congressman says the White House continues to ignore the impacts of their border policies. Everyone's playing politics while real people are dying along the border and being impacted. The Border Patrol, by the way, telling us they make about 3,000 arrests a day right now. 524, Threads, Meta's competitor to Twitter, has already garnered millions of users in the hours since it launched on Wednesday. Aaron McLaughlin, correspondent, has more. Meta describing its vision as creating positive and creative space to express ideas, leveraging Instagram's more than 2 billion users. Posts on the app can be up to 500 characters long, with links, photos, and videos up to five minutes. Wall Street Journal reporter Tim Higgins says the he calls this the frictionless sign-up process from Instagram will give Threads a leg up to its rival Twitter. The backing of Meta and and the fact that it, the, the company already has so many users that they can just uh, essentially uh, flip a switch and create a Twitter competitor uh, really makes it something to watch here. The app uh, available in 100 countries, but not the European Union, over concerns around local data privacy regulations. 525, let's bring it back here into the city. A CVS worker allegedly knifed to death a serial shoplifter during a fight inside a Midtown store. This was yesterday morning. The fatal encounter began when 46-year-old Scotty Ano stopped a homeless man who was suspected of trying to steal Gatorade and a container of creamer near the door of the drugstore at West 49th Street. This was just after midnight. The alleged 50-year-old thief, who has more than a dozen previous shoplifting arrests, socked Inno in the face, and that's when the worker pulled out a knife and allegedly stabbed the man in the torso, that homeless man, taken to Bellevue Hospital, where he was pronounced dead. Inno, who's from uh, Brooklyn, arrested at the scene, now has been charged with murder and criminal possession of a weapon. A security guard at a nearby Duane Reed estimates he witnesses up to 10 shoplifters a day. He says he knew this 50-year-old thief. He said he had come in there often. 526. Acting NYPD Commissioner Edward Caban says shootings over the 4th of July weekend were down compared to recent years. And we know any single shooting is unacceptable. We know that. But the reality is the work of your NYPD officers is making a real difference. So they were laying out the stats from July 1st to July 5th, 2020. New York, C- New York City saw 49 shootings. Last year, there were 43 shootings. This year, there were 23 shootings. So they're saying, okay, it's going in the right direction. These are hundreds of real people, hundreds of families who are spared the devastating impacts of gun violence. But again, until shootings and shooting victims are down 100%, we would never be satisfied with just numbers. Yeah, those numbers, of course, always are juiced in the summertime. We see those murders go up, those shootings go up, no different this year. We got a lot more to get to on this early Friday morning as we work our way up. Six o'clock hour, Sid and friends in the morning. We're getting more details about this plane crash that took place in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina over the weekend. 
everybody on board was from New Jersey. We'll hear about some of their stories and what may have taken place. Has Mayor Adams really carried around a picture of a cop killed on the job? A story that has blown up in the last 48 hours. Uh, we'll get to that before the morning is out. And a local New Jersey beach town has closed the beach because nobody wants to work it. We'll get to that as well. But first, this at 529. The 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden on 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 531. Good morning. It is Friday, July 7th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Mostly cloudy day on the way. Could see a pop-up shower, thunderstorm maybe this afternoon. High 85. Saturday, sun and clouds, high 85. And then Sunday could be a little bit of a washout. Scattered thunderstorms in the morning, scattered thunderstorms in the afternoon, high 83. If you're walking out the door with us right now, so happy you are. 73, partly cloudy in Valley Cottage in Rockland County. 72 and cloudy in Kendall Park, New Jersey. And it is 74 and cloudy here in Midtown. We'll start this half hour right here in the city, City Hall criticizing a report in the New York Times involving Mayor Eric Adams and a fallen NYPD cop. Adams says he's displayed, um, has carried around a wallet-sized photo of Officer Robert Venable for years. Venable was killed in the line of duty back in 1987. So the mayor was giving an interview to News 12 Westchester when he mentioned the fact that he carried around this photo of the officer in his wallet and has for years. Uh, here's what he told Tara Rosenblum, News 12 Westchester. And I understand and the pain, you know, I carry around a picture of Robert Venable, my close friend that was shot uh, several years ago uh, when during my early days of policing. And I always have Robert's picture. Yes, yeah, so it seems like a nice gesture to carry that picture around. So Tara Rosenblum, after the interview was over, asked if they could see a copy of this photo that he's carried around in his wallet for years. Well, the New York Times reports that the photo that was handed over to News 12 was actually printed by a staffer and then stained with coffee in the days after Adams claimed to have carried it around to make that photo look older than it actually was and that maybe he had not carried that photo around like he said he had. Well, there's been a lot of pushback to that uh, story in the New York Times. Robert Venable's niece, she spoke to News 12 Westchester, and she says that the piece done by the New York Times and the story about the mayor not carrying around the photo, she doesn't know if he was carrying around the photo, but she does say that she knows that Mayor Adams has been close with the family ever since her uncle passed away, or actually was killed back in 1987. I mean, the reporter who contacted our family, I told her, I told her specifically, I was like, is is Eric um, helping to decrease crime in New York City? Yes. Then that's what that's what this is about. He used my uncle's story, his relationship with my uncle to highlight gun violence. And that's what he should be highlighting. And for you to try to um, use my uncle's legacy to discredit him is ridiculous. 
So she did not comment on the picture and whether it was printed off a copy machine and stained with coffee. That's like something you might figure you would do and find on YouTube. Right. To, if that's even true that they did that, they stained a picture to make it look old. A spokesperson for the mayor releasing a statement saying it's disgusting that the New York Times has chosen to have Robert Venable's friends and family relive the tragic murder of a loved one for nothing more than feeding its obsession with dissecting every single moment of Mayor Adams life. But now, of course, everybody wants to see this photo and the story's not going to go away. And I'm sure we'll have more details as the day wears on. Five thirty five. Five people that died in a plane crash in South Carolina over the weekend were all from New Jersey. The pilot was a doctor from Caldwell. And um, over the last 24 hours, we've been getting all the names of the people on board. Dr. Joseph Farnese, who was 66 years old, he owned this plane, had flown this single-engine Piper plane for 20 years, was a beloved uh, member of that Caldwell community. Uh, the On Sunday morning, just a minute after taking off from North Myrtle, Myrtle Beach Airport, the plane suddenly went down and it burst into flames. Everybody on board was killed, six in all, including the doctor. Here was the doctor's best friend. He was the most conscientious pilot that I've ever seen. Checks everything, making sure everything's perfect. He has a plane serviced regularly. It's hard to talk. Greatest guy I ever ever known. Yeah, Farnese was returning from a fishing trip when he and five other passengers killed in that crash. He was an internal medicine physician, was known to fly patients to his house in Myrtle Beach, his vacation house, his condo, uh, did services for free for patients who could not afford it, uh, and uh, everybody grieving. Kind, caring, helpful. This man did things for people that nobody knows. I've known him for 40 years. At Farnese's office in Little Falls, uh, the office workers there had to call patients and let them know that he had killed in that plane crash. We had a call come here on the day it happened, and we had to call all of his precious patients, every one of his patients, every one of them, not one thing. They just dropped the phone. He helped so many people, and I need the world to know that, you know? He helped so many people, so many the FAA, the NTSB, still investigating what took place, why that plane crashed. WABC News Time 539. Let's go out to Long Island, Suffolk County, purchasing two additional drones to monitor the shorelines following five recent uh, bites, shark bites, uh, shark sightings, encounters. Here's County Executive Steve Ballone. Shark uh, bites and shark incidents are something that we're going to have to be uh, addressing uh, on a more regular basis. Ballone says lifeguards will train to become certified drone operators, which will allow them to track marine life, dangerous rip currents. He says the latest move builds on Suffolk's previous efforts to actively patrol sharks and other potential dangers in the water. Our goal here, of course, first and foremost, is to keep residents safe. Uh, but it's also just to provide uh, a sense of reassurance and comfort. By the way, all those five bites were minor, but of course, uh, freaking people out, the swimmers. And have a significant amount of expertise, but it is not in in flying drones. Situations change. This situation now calls for 
uh, some of our lifeguards to be able to have that training. Yeah, so some lifeguards will monitor the beach. The others uh, will monitor some of those drones. While we're out on Long Island, uh, signs telling swimmers what to do if they encounter a rip current have gone up at Nickerson Beach at Lido Beach, Long Island. Joseph, uh, Josephine DeMora, she's a Garden City resident. She launched the beach sign campaign in memory of her 24-year-old daughter, Alexandra, who died in a rip current while on vacation back in 2019. She says she doesn't want that to happen to anybody else. If I can save one family from the devastation that my family and I are going through, I this is my mission. The signs uh, put up. Uh, instruct beachgoers not to fight the rip current and to swim parallel to shore. Good idea. As you walk into the sand, you'll see these big signs with what to do if you get caught in a rip current. 541. The feds giving New York its largest train transportation grant ever to help finally build those long-awaited gateway project under the Hudson. Those tunnels are 100 years old, more than 100 years old, that connect New York and New Jersey. So now they will have additional tunnels. Senator Schumer says the money will immediately kick off the engineering process to figure out how to build these things. And he says shovels could be in the ground as early as next summer. Gateway is the most consequential infrastructure project in all of America. And everyone across the country agrees. If the tunnels across the Hudson collapse or are unusable, our whole economy goes into turmoil. Yeah, so the feds have ponied up $6 billion to pay for the new train tunnels. The tunnels being used now were built back in 19 or opened back in 1910. The project is going to be a huge shot in the arm to the New York, New Jersey economy. 72,000 direct jobs. So the new tunnel will supplement those troublesome pair of single-track tunnels that opened in 1910. They've been decaying faster ever since Hurricane Sandy flooded them back in 2012. And while we're talking about Chuck Schumer, he's demanding that the Department of Justice turn over $16 million in drug money to New York law enforcement agencies. The departments poured their own resources and manpower into combating illegal drug trafficking across the region, resulting in the dismantling of organized trafficking networks and the safeguarding of our communities. Yes, so Schumer uh, stood with Rockland County Police, said they did their part in investing their own money and manpower to bust up drug trafficking rings across the Hudson Valley. But he says four years later, the DOJ has not reimbursed these police departments for the money that they're owed. We all assign people to these task forces for a major reason. To keep drugs out of Rockland County, keep drugs out of Putnam, Westchester, Orange, and the Hudson Valley. 543, up to the Bronx. First legal marijuana dispensary opened yesterday at 420. Meantime, Bronx Borough President says the slow rollout of those legal pot shops has helped increase illegal weed sellers. Most people buying their pot from illegal pot shops. Uh, legal one, well, we'll see how successful it is. We have well over 1,700 in New York City and many in the Bronx. We know where they are, we know who they are, and we have to slowly but surely go after each and every one of them. Yeah, they have started to crack down on some of them, but there's so many it'll take them a while to catch up. And the slow rollout, as she says, is not helping that problem. 544. Yesterday, the TSA 
issuing a visual reminder that passengers must think before they arrive at checkpoints. They say so many people are showing up with things that you can't take on airplanes as people get back to flying again. Thousands of items getting tossed into the trash can every day because they're not allowed and you don't get it back. Uh, you can't bring a firearm. That should be obvious through airports or security. You'll get arrested. There are less obvious items that will set off alarms, too, and hold everybody up. A lot of knives, oversized scissors, tools that cannot go, replicas of firearms, definitely not allowed. Kids, adults going to baseball tournaments and uh, you know, softball tournaments, they bring the bat right on board. Again, you can travel with it. It's got to be in your check bag. Yeah, so they throw all that stuff out. They won't hold on to it for you. TSA officials uh, confiscate thousands of items every month at JFK alone, including valuable tools, uh, pull cues, and you never get them back. Uh, the uh, latest trend, though, is that's slowing everybody down is these artfully concealed knives. It looks like a credit card, but it's actually a blade. It looks like a credit card to a lot of other people. But when we check wallets, we do find a lot of these. When we check bracelets, we pull them out and there's a knife in between them. Carbon fiber ones, knives, they're very interesting. They're very sharp, though. Please, you cannot travel with these items. Put it in your check bag, wrap it up, put some bubble tape around it. Yeah, so if you put it in your bag underneath, no problem. Put it and carry it on board. They'll take it. They'll throw it away. All right, 545. Let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk. And here's Justin Ellen. Thank you, Noam Layden. The Mets once again showed last night what they can do if they put it all together. Beating the NLS first place Diamondbacks 9 to nothing in Arizona to finish off the three-game sweep pitching and hitting did come together once again. Carlos Carrasco was really, really good on the bump through a dominant innings of three-hit ball at the dish. 17 hits across the board for the orange and blue. Three dingers from Alonzo Alvarez and Linder. They sounded like this from SNY. Drives this one toward the left field corner. That ball is out of here! A line drive home run for Pete Alonzo! Lindor with a triple, Alonzo with a two-run homer, and it's 2-0 New York. And the breaking ball drilled to left field. Forget that! Alvarez again! It's a two-run shot, and it's 7-0 New York. Thinking right center this time, but he drills this one too deep for a triple. That's going to sail out of here. Francisco Lindor is four for four. That's his 18th home run of the year. Double for the cycle. Nine to nothing, New York. The win marks five straight for the Mets, and they look to take the momentum into a three-game set in San Diego against the Padres. That'll start tonight at 9.40 p.m. Eastern Am time. I? Yeah, he is I. Justin Verlander, hopefully I as well tonight. He's going up against San Diego's Hugh Darvish. Over to the Yanks, they lost again, but this time in much more embarrassing fashion. The final score being a 14-1 to laugher in the series finale against the visiting Baltimore Orioles. After taking the first two of the four-game set, the Yanks had consecutive opportunities to register a series win, but failed to do so as they settled for the two and two split against their division rivals and with the AL East first place Tampa Rays coming right off a sweep by uh, Philadelphia. The Bombers squandered an opportunity to chip into their current eight game divisional deficit. They'll see what they can do with the Chicago Cubs coming into town next starting with tonight's first to three at the stadium set for a 7.05 p.m. first pitch. It's a big night in the Bronx with the debut of a one Carlos Rodon looming. Rodon signed a six year deal worth $162 million in December. Strange his left forearm in spring training and was slowed by a stiff back during his rehab, he'll make his long-awaited debut against former Yank, Jameson Tyum. Big night in the Bronx, Gnome. 
I'm Justin Alec on uh, with sports on 77 WABC. Let's catch you up on the big stories of the morning. Dozens of people injured after a double-decker tour bus collided with an MTA bus. This was East 23rd and 1st Avenue about 7 o'clock last night. That tour bus, the double-decker, T-boning the MTA bus. That MTA bus standing room only. The tour bus packed as well. And I turned my head to the right and like this big tour bus is just like full speed zooming at us. It hit our bus, all the glass shattered. People, People screaming, yeah, falling off their, their seats, banging their heads onto the other seats. You hear the boom and like you feel it and see it crazy. Cops say the MTA X38 had the right of way. It was traveling through the intersection on East 23rd. The tour bus apparently sailed through a red light heading into the MTA bus that was packed. The impact felt like it was almost an earthquake. The whole bus was rattling and shaking. It just smashed. I I just saw glass everywhere for a second. I, you know, it was honestly like I was in a movie. And it took about a couple of seconds for me to snap back to reality when everyone started screaming. I saw blood. There were dozens and dozens of injuries. But here's the good news. None of them are life-threatening, though some were treated at the scene. Others were taken to the hospital. An MTA spokesman racing to that scene to say, hey, this one wasn't our fault. It was the tour bus driver. This tour bus behind us uh, seems to have blown a red light and uh, T-boned our bus. Hit it actually twice it was going so fast. And there were scenes of the firefighters getting everybody off these buses uh, using a ladder to get some of the victims off that double-decker bus. Anytime you have two buses involved, you have a significant number of patients that, that likely need to be treated. Many injuries are just cuts, bruises, scrapes, some suspected fractures, uh, some head and neck injuries as well. Okay, so we don't have a firm number, but it's dozens and dozens of injuries. Again, most of them minor, none of them life-threatening. An investigation ongoing about what exactly took place, but every eyewitness uh, that we could see said the tour bus went through a red light, T-boned that MTA bus. So far, the NYPD saying no criminality involved and the driver of that tour bus will release uh, receive a summons. But the investigation, they say, ongoing at this hour. 552, two firefighters we told you about yesterday killed after they became trapped while fighting a fire on a ship docked at Port Newark. Getting more information about that fire, it broke out 9.30 Wednesday night at the port. Firefighters raced to the scene. It was a huge cargo ship that was carrying more than 5,000 cars that caught fire. Uh, we have a little bit of the back and forth between firefighters and 911 and EMTs. All right, you guys- on the floor just they went in all units evacuate yourselves all units evacuate yourself emergency evacuation yeah there were mayday calls uh these two firefighters were trapped somewhere between the 11th and 12th floor by the time they got to them they had already passed away all units evacuate yourselves immediately sound your air horns all units sound your air horns evacuate yourselves immediately the firefighters eventually located it took hours for the fire to finally be doused not a hundred percent clear what ignited it at all we do know the victims though 45 year old augusto acabo 49 year old wayne Brooks Jr. He Acaba was a nine-year veteran of the Newark Fire Department and was assigned to Engine 16. Brooks was a 16-year veteran and assigned to Ladder 4. Fellow firefighters, as you might guess, 
are completely distraught. This was a shock when I found out this morning. It's just the hole will never be filled. Never. Big guy, always smiling. Such a sweetheart. <clears throat> Would not pass by you without saying hello or giving you a handshake. The last time a Newark firefighter was killed was 2007, and that was actually in a motorcycle crash. Newark Fire Chief Rufus Jackson says Newark firefighters have been trained to fight fires on cruise and cargo ships. Newark's port is the second largest port in the nation, Los Angeles number one. So they say they get that kind of training, but they say it can be a hard fire to uh, fight. Governor Murphy uh, expressing his sorrow yesterday. This tragedy is a painful reminder of the dangers our firefighters face and their remarkable courage. Uh, so far, no details on funerals and the celebration of those two firefighters' lives. But of course, as they come in, we will pass them on to you. 554. There's still talk about Mayor de Blasio and his wife, Shirlane McRae, who let the whole world know this week that they'll be dating others that'll stay married and continue to share their Park Slope home. So what do everyday New Yorkers think about this uh, bizarre interview they gave to the New York Times? I could really give a crap. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't like them back then. I don't need to hear about them now. I don't care what they do. Goodbye. I don't think anybody cares. <laughs> okay, de Blasio and McRae say uh, the years in City Hall and a failed presidential run did not help their relationship. But the two say they have no plan to divorce and can't wait to jump back into the dating pool. Let's go down to uh, Beachwood, New Jersey. Strange, well, it's more of a sad story than a strange one, I guess. In Beachwood, the borough yesterday announcing that the beach there will be closed to swimmers all summer long. And it's because they can't get anybody to work. This has been the problem uh, just here in the city. There's short lifeguards by the hundreds. Uh, but in this town of Beachwood, they can't they only when they put out the applications for people to apply to become lifeguards this summer only one person applied they thought it might get better as the summer got closer it did not so to keep people safe the beach is completely shut all summer long this woman she was on the sand yesterday she says you know i won't go into the water because they're telling me not to but uh you know the beach is right here it's in my town i brought a little inflatable pool at least fill it up let her have some fun and let the kids play on the sand it's very disappointing being that it's it's a small you know community but it was always full of people in fact that woman said she just moved there so she could be close to the beach it is a problem that spans far beyond beachwood it seems the jobs as lifeguards are not as attractive as they once were nobody's completely sure why yeah i question if it's the students that are the ones that were doing it all along have they gotten uh you know better offers or they're just taking the summer off before they go back to school it's sad to not see a lot of people here they should be a lifeguard because you get to spend your whole day on the beach. Yes, when I was a kid, that was the primo job, uh, being a lifeguard, taking that whistle with the string, wrapping it around your finger, white stuff on your nose. You got to hang out with, with girls and guys in bathing suits, but apparently not the same as it once was.